for contracts, we talked about mutual assent, and there are three cases that we're going to talk about with this principle of mutual assent, and assent meaning agreeing to a contract. So we're going to talk about Ray v. William uh, G. Uris, and we're going to discuss Lungerin v. Skolnick and Normile v. Miller. Each of these are going to outline a different principle, which we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about an objective standard. We're going to be focusing on what constitutes an offer uh, via timing and all that kind of stuff. And we're going to be focusing on counteroffers. Those are the three things that we're going to talk about in these three cases. So in Ray, uh, what happened here is that Ray was, uh, that's the last name, Ray is building a house with his wife and he's a very particular man. He knows exactly what he wants. And uh, so he shows up and he's getting these bids from contractors and Uris is a contractor. Well, they're kind of more of a <laughs> um, easygoing, uh, just getting things done kind of a lifestyle. And so and they meet together and they draw up some uh, specifications and uh, Uris says, okay, well, here are the changes that we think that we need to be made. And Ray says, okay, we'll draft this up with their lawyer and we'll send them over to you. They did so. Uh, Uris believed that the specifications that were drafted up were going to be their specifications and the lawyer ended up drafting up some different specifications that were a bit more specific. The original specifications were three pages, the drafted up was five pages, and it obviously has a lot more information. Uh, they're dated and everything. Uh, so Euros goes ahead, they signed the agreement, they probably didn't look very closely at the papers. And upon approaching the time to build, Euros looks at the papers and they're like, oh, we did not agree to this. So they're understandably a little frustrated because the specifications were too detailed for what they were expecting to be doing. And so they call in Ray and they have a friendly, in quotation marks, discussion. Nothing physical, just heated. Uh, and uh, ultimately, Ray says we're not going to, uh, Euro says we're not going to build to these specifications. So Ray sues. And the court here, is trying to determine whether or not uh, this lack of meeting of the minds uh, results in a contract. Well, let's talk about what the trial court said. The trial court said that the parties failed to come to a meeting of the minds. And that means that they're using a subjective. They're looking at what the parties are thinking. So one party thought that they were signing for one thing, another party thought that they were signing for another thing, and so there was no meeting of the minds. The trial court says that this does not constitute a contract. However, the appellate court disagrees, and they overrule this uh, trial court uh, ruling. They say that we don't care what the parties thought. They signed. A reasonable person can see that they signed. It, if Looking at it objectively, you're going to be able to say, okay, they agreed to this agreement. Therefore, the both parties are going to be liable to be upholding this agreement. So Eurus and Bro needed to pay damages for being in breach of the contract. So what's the takeaway from this case? We learned that there is no such thing as a meeting of the minds. 
we do not care and the law does not either. And so anytime that we hear meaning in the minds in future cases, it's just going to mean that uh, the court's looking for an objective standard of mutual assent. And that just says if a reasonable person can come and look at it and say, yep, there's a couple of signatures there, they both agreed to it, then we're good to go. Okay, let's talk about Lo- Lonergan v. Skolnick. This is going to be talking about the timing of um, providing a acceptance and whether or not an offer was even made in the first place. So the defendant in this case, he placed an ad for $2,500 cash for land. This is the 1950s, so it was actually quite a bit. Uh, The plaintiff reached out and said, hey, I wanna take a look at the land. So the defendant gave him the area and the plaintiff goes and he's like, I think I found it, but I'm not 100% sure Will you confirm. And the defendant responds saying, yep, sounds like you're in the right place. Let me know quick if you want the land because I've got another buyer. So this is first come, first serve. Uh, But before the plaintiff could respond, because the plaintiff did respond, um, the defendant sold to a third party. But in between that time, the plaintiff had put pretty much a down payment on an escrow agent. And an escrow agent just holds the property. So they would hold the payment and the title of the land to make sure that people transfer things honestly Uh, but no deed came and the plaintiff was angry and he filed suit and he claims that there was an offer made through the correspondence of the defendant the analysis in this case is that there was no offer because a reasonable person could assume that the conversation the correspondence was only preliminary so when it comes to more complicated things the a reasonable person would say no he hasn't offered you the land yet he's just you're working out the details and once all the details are worked out well then uh he can make you an offer but because no additional manifestation of assent came there was no offer in the situation and there was no agreement to sell this land to the property who's trying to file suit Okay, let's talk about Normal v. Miller. This is the last case, and then uh, we'll call it. Uh, but Normal v. Miller. So the question that we're going to be talking about here are options, and options through encounter um, counter offers. I totally blanked on the word there. Uh, so in this case, what happened is that uh, sorry, in this case, some, uh, a homeowner was selling a house, and he and Normile was interested in the house, and he provided a offer to the uh, defendant. Uh, the defendant didn't really like the offer, so he made some changes to it, and he provided a counteroffer. Well, Normile believed that the counteroffer left the property off the market until Normile responded. He believed that he had till the next day to respond whether or not to accept the offer. But in the meantime, and there was another party who came 
and provided an offer to the house, and the defendant accepted that offer to the house. Well, Normal was like, no, 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 no. But, sorry, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Before, Normal was like, no, I want that house. Uh, the real estate agent came and told Normile, sorry, you snooze, you lose, the house has been sold. So Normile's like, wait, just a minute, I want that house. So he goes and pays the down payment, and uh, he accepts the counteroffer. So in this instance, now we're looking at a contract where the homeowner may be liable to sell the house to both people. Uh, but you can't sell a house to two people because you only have one house. So normal file suit, one person is going to get the house and the other person is hoping to get damages, meaning payment for being put into this agreement and then having a breach of contract. However, what happened in this case is that there was no option provided. Normile believed that he had the option to keep the house and that the contract, there would be no other offers made until he made up his mind. The issue with that is that the counter offer did not have this in contract, meaning it, it, the counter offer did not have this option. So, the counter offer works where the initial offer is rejected and then a new offer is proposed by the offeree. In this instance, Normal didn't accept in time and he was informed that the offer was revoked. So, an important takeaway from this case is that somebody can be held liable for having for two acceptances of offers or accepting two offers. However, if you revoke an offer before somebody accepts that offer, you don't need to be held liable for that because that ends the proceedings of the offer right away. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.